Well, folks, we're going to jump back into Genesis tonight. It's been a while. Genesis 32. Genesis 32. And we will uh, also be in uh, chapter 33. Uh, when you believe that the chickens have come home to roost. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. When you believe that the chickens have come home to roost. Genesis 32. Got it? Okay. It says, Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of uh, Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau and he's coming to meet you and there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children." But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau, and moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third, and all who followed the droves, you shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present 
that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and four hundred men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother." But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please. If I found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. Thus he urged him and he took it. Have you ever been away from home for a while and when you're returning home, it's such a good feeling, isn't it? It's good to finally get back home. You know who I think of? I think of Dorothy. What'd she do? Clicked her shoes together and what did she say? There's no place like 
home. It's good to get away, but it's good to get back home, right? Well, Jacob is heading home after being away for approximately 20 years. Now, Jacob must surely be encouraged because he's just said goodbye to Laban and they've made a covenant together that they would not cross that barrier that they set up. They'd not cross that barrier to, to go over and do the other one harm. And so they've made that covenant together. I'm sure he was encouraged by that. And now to top it off, the angels of God meet Jacob. I want you to remember when he left the land headed to to the land where Laban was, who met him? The angels met him. And now he's returning, and who meets him again? Angels meet him again. So I'm sure he's quite encouraged by everything that's happening. Uh, He's probably right to think that he's on the proper path now. That's probably what he's thinking. In Genesis 31, verse 3, God had said to Jacob, Go back to the land of your fathers, and I will be with you. Now, you remember what the occasion was back in chapter 31? He noticed that Laban and Laban's sons, that their attitudes had changed toward him. And that's when God said, get up and go back to your homeland and be assured that as you go and when you get there, I will be with you. And so Jacob is going back in obedience to what God has told him. And so again, he's probably feeling pretty confident. But with Laban behind him, he knows that he's now got to set things right with his brother Esau. What had happened there? Remember when he stole the birthright and Esau came in and wanted their father to bless him. He said, I've already given the blessing of the firstborn to your brother Jacob. And you remember what Esau's attitude was? He said, as soon as my parents die, I am going to kill my brother Jacob. And Rebekah, finding out about this, said what to Isaac? Go to my brother's house. And what was the excuse that she gave? You remember the excuse? To find the right wife. Because if he marries women like Esau has, my life is not going to be worth anything. Uh, But again, Esau's attitude was, I'm going to kill my brother. I'm going to kill him. And so again, with the conflict with Laban behind him, he knows that he's got to address this issue with his brother Esau. First thing I want you to write down tonight, when you have wronged someone, God would have you to make things right. When you've wronged someone, God would have you to make things right. Verses 1 to 8. Until you make things right, depending on the severity of the wrongdoing, 
What is it that you're going to worry about? You're going to worry about your next encounter with that person. Until you make peace with them, you're going to be concerned about your next encounter with them. Now, folks, let's not forget this is largely a situation of Jacob's own making. And so it's right and proper that he's trying to patch things up now with his brother Esau. Now, folks, this is not just simply a remote Old Testament occurrence. Something that happened back then and applies only to him at that time. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? In uh, Matthew chapter 5. You can turn there with me if you wish. Matthew chapter 5 beginning in verse uh, 23. Jesus said, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. It's important to reconcile. In fact, Folks, do you realize that in Romans chapter 1 and then again in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that Paul writes about a refusal to reconcile as being a sign that someone has never been converted. A refusal to reconcile is a sign of unbelief. Sometimes people say, I'm not going to reconcile. You know, they wronged me. I've not wronged. They, I, they've wronged me. I'm not going to make things right. And, and I've known of people live for years and years. I knew two brothers one time who had lived for several decades. And they had refused to reconcile with one another. They claimed to be believers, but they were refusing to reconcile. The New Testament tells us a refusal to reconcile is a sign of a lack of conversion. So there's a lot at stake. For Jacob, reconciliation begins right here with a simple appeal. He's asking for Esau's favor. He humbles himself before Esau, telling his messengers to tell Esau, Jacob, your servant says to you, my Lord. And so what are those words? Those are words of humility. He's showing humility and deference to Esau. He's having his servants tell Esau these words. Now, the answer he gets is not to his liking when he finds out about what has happened. At least it's not to his liking when he assumes he knows Esau's intention. What do the servants tell Jacob? Esau's coming to meet you. But what else? He's got 400 men with him. Now, if you're Jacob, what are you thinking? 
Uh-oh, bad news. I'm a dead man. I'm a dead man. Esau is still angry, and he's still determined he's going to kill me. And he's got an army of men he's bringing with him. I'm in trouble. Naturally, Jacob is afraid. Jacob kicks into high gear doing what Jacob does so well. He starts scheming. He starts coming up with a plan. He's dividing up his livestock and his family. He's dividing them all up, coming up with a plan of what he's going to do. Second, secondly, fear causes Jacob to turn to God. Fear causes Jacob to turn to God. Pick up reading with me again in verse 9. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant for with only my staff I crossed this Jordan and now I have become two camps please deliver me from the hand of my brother from the hand of Esau for I fear him that he may come and attack me the mothers with the children but you said I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude now folks in the long run we can praise God for whatever it is whatever it is that God uses to get our attention and get us humbled before him He was. And, he, and we're going to see he's going to get that. But we can be grateful for whatever it is. It may not be pleasant at the moment, like this occurrence here with, with Jacob. But he can be grateful for the circumstances that God uses to get Jacob looking up to God again. So whatever it is in your life, that God may be using, maybe even difficulty getting you to look up to Him. In the long run, it's for your good. Jacob turns to God in prayer. And in his prayer, he basically reminds God, God, you're the one who told me to return. I'm returning in obedience to you. And you've told me that you will look after me and you will prosper me. So I'm asking you to do that. Also, there's great humility in his prayer as well as confession. Jacob is not being typical Jacob here. We're seeing some signs that Jacob has matured in his faith. He confesses that he's not worthy of God's blessing and that he had left home with nothing and now he's returning as a wealthy man all because of God's grace and all because of God's provision. 
God, you've done it all in my life. If there's anything good in my life, if I have anything now, it's because you've given it to me. It's because of what you've done in my life. He's humble before God. He's recognizing God as the giver of all good gifts. And on top of being humble and confessing, he's also being very transparent here too, isn't he? Very transparent. Because what's he go on to say? I'm afraid of my brother Esau. Lord, I'm scared of him. Very transparent. And so, when we look at this prayer by Jacob in verses 9 to 12, there, there is a lot about this prayer that we can admire, right? That's right. Exactly. Now, folks, when we, when we think about Jacob's humility here and his confession... You know what comes to my mind in the New Testament? Jesus' parable about the Pharisee and the publican, right? What did the publican say? Well, the Pharisee, first of all, what he say? Look at me, God. I'm glad I'm not like him. I'm good. Look at everything I do. The publican wouldn't even lift his eyes up to God, but beat on his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Bible says, he's the one who went home justified. Humility, confession, transparency in prayer. That's what God is expecting of his children. And that's what Jacob is doing here. In prayer, we dare not go before God standing on any type of human pride. We dare not do that. Now, thirdly, I want you to see that fear causes Jacob to return to his typical M.O. of scheming. Fear causes Jacob to return to his typical M.O. of scheming. Verses 13 and following. What's Jacob do here? He starts dividing up his livestock. Dr. Alan Ross in his commentary on Genesis, one of the best commentaries on the book of Genesis, Dr. Ross says, the exegesis will show that in sending the gift to Esau of 550 animals, Jacob was attempting to return the blessing that he had stolen from his brother. And in constantly referring to himself as Esau's servant and to Esau as his Lord, he was attempting to restore the precedence that his father's blessing had taken from Esau and bestowed on him. It is clear that Jacob thought that reconciliation could be gained only through the restoration of what he had taken. But it had been the plan of God for Jacob to have the blessing. And so Ross goes on to say, In short, Jacob did not really want to find grace in the sight of his brother. He wanted 
to buy his brother off. He wasn't looking for grace. He was trying to buy him off. By dividing up the animals and having space put between them, the desired effect is that Esau, will time he gets done admiring one group of livestock, and he looks up, then lo and behold, what's he going to see? He's going to see the next group. And then he's going to admire them, be looking at them and admiring them. And then time he gets done admiring that group, he's going to look up and there's going to be the next group. And so the effect will be to keep Esau wild, wild over the magnitude of the gift that Jacob is giving to him. Now, in doing things this way, Jacob was essentially willing to relinquish his blessing back to Esau. And why is he doing all of this? Because he's afraid. He's afraid of Esau. Dr. Ross goes on to say that God's people are to pray in the face of their enemies and be confident that God will work. We are not to give ground back in gestures of appeasement. We are not to give ground back in gestures of appeasement. He says, we must rather be confident in God that one way or the other, God will complete in us what he started. He wasn't supposed to give the blessing back, the resources. Again, as Dr. Ross is saying, God had determined to give Jacob those all along. And now through appeasement, he's trying to give it all back. Fourthly, I want you to see, beginning in verse 24, that Jacob finally ends up a changed man. He's wrestling with the angel of the Lord. Now, folks, there's, there's been plenty of ways of looking at this passage, okay? Plenty of ways, plenty of, and let me say it this way, plenty of unworthy ways, unworthy ways of looking at this passage. For instance, several interpreters have suggested that this passage is only a dream narrative. Josephus, you've heard that name, the Jewish historian, Josephus. He understood it to be a dream, a dream in which an apparition made use of voice and words. Others have made it nothing more than an allegory. Philo, for instance, the Jewish philosopher around the time of the first century B.C., uh, Philo saw a spiritual conflict in literal terms. A fight of the soul against one's vices and passions. Clement of Alexandria accepted this allegorical approach and said that the assailant was the Logos. And he would not give his name to Jacob because he had not yet appeared in the flesh through the incarnation. 
So a number of ways this has been looked at. But Hosea, Hosea chapter 12 verse 4 tells us that it was the angel of the Lord that Jacob was wrestling with. And so we don't have to speculate. Because scripture interpreting scripture, other scripture tells us who it was. All of Jacob's life, he's been wrestling. First of all, with his brother. Then with his father. Then with his father-in-law. And finally, with God. Jacob has always been wrestling with somebody. Both God and men. Well, now, obviously... He's he's wrestling with God here. We know that no man is a match for the angel of the Lord. While the wrestling, I believe, was real and was not simply an allegory, the narrative is designed to show us that as Jacob got alone, really alone, and took stock of what he thought was about to happen with Esau, he struggled with God as never before. He ends up injured, broken we might say. He was never the same again. Before, he's been weak, though he was strong. And after this event, he's strong even though he's weak. The limp that he had physically only demonstrated the change that he encounters inwardly. We're intended to see that something has happened to Jacob here that has never happened to him before. In fact, it's an event whereby God's going to give him a new name showing that. What's his name been? Jacob, what's Jacob mean? Trickster, deceiver, hill grabber. But now he's called Israel, prince with God, one who has wrestled with God and prevailed. Now, folks, that's going to have ramifications for the future, too, for the nation of Israel. Because guess what? The descendants of Jacob will indeed wrestle. They, too, will wrestle with men and with God. And they will prevail over man and every attempt that man will make to destroy them. They will prevail. And God's purposes will continue in and through them until ultimately the Messiah is born, who is a descendant of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God's been with Jacob since Jacob's first encounter with him 20 years earlier at Bethel. God's been with him. But Jacob now emerges as somebody different. He will now be the man that 
along with Abraham and Isaac, he will join Abraham and Isaac in being what? A patriarch. A patriarch. And God's purposes are going to march forward through the sons of Jacob, who's now known as Israel. And so the sons of Jacob will make up who? The 12 tribes of Israel. So despite Jacob's scheming here, the blessing is not going to be returned to Esau. Jacob can give all of his worldly wealth to Esau if he wants. But guess what? God is not giving the blessing back to Esau. The true blessing. It's Jacob's. God had intended all along for it to be Jacob's. And God hasn't changed his mind in that. The blessing is going to continue to be his. Now, as we get into chapter 33, Jacob Jacob gets back to the matter, the matter at hand of preparing to meet up with his brother Esau. It would have been known... What Jacob is up to with the division of the family members. The servant ladies, the concubines, and then Leah, and then finally Rachel and Joseph. Folks, I want you to think with me for a moment. The hurt, the hurt. If you were Leah or her children, they would have known what Jacob was doing. Jacob is apparently willing to sacrifice some of them in order that he can protect his favorite wife and favorite son. He's he's willing to sacrifice them if it comes to that. And they would have known that. They would have known what he's up to. He's putting putting Rachel and Joseph all the way at the back. So if Esau attacks them with those 400 men and starts killing them, hopefully by the time he gets to Rachel and Joseph, they will have had a chance to escape. So he's willing to protect Rachel and Joseph at all costs. Even if it means Leah and her kids die. Sure. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Now fortunately, it's not going to come to any of that. It's not going to come to any of that that they're going to be sacrificed. That they're going to be killed by Esau. You know, sometimes we find that others are just as ready as we are to forgive and to move on. Right? 
Now, this is ideal because it shows that Esau's heart has also been changed. Esau, though we're not told how long it took him to get over his bitterness with Jacob and his determination to kill him, he too has moved on and matured. And God has blessed him. He recognizes that. Now, the blessing... The blessing will never be his. But nonetheless, he knows that he also is a blessed man. He has more than enough. He doesn't want what Jacob's got. He doesn't even want it anymore. Esau, for all of the negativity that the Bible will still record about his future descendants, Esau himself has ended up A content man himself. And for that, we can be happy for him. Now, as I say, his descendants, his descendants will not move past what Jacob did to their father. They're always going to hold it against Israel. But Esau himself appears to have moved on. And forgiven. And he's willing to let bygones be bygones. I want you to notice what the brothers do not do. What do they not do when they meet up? Bring up the past. You know, some people say, you know what, if you're really going to have forgiveness, you you got to bring up the past and get all that ugliness out on the table again and hash through it all. No, you don't. No, you don't. And they're, they're a key example of that. The brothers move on without rehashing all of the old garbage between them. I want to ask you tonight, is there someone that you need to reconcile with? Is there somebody that you need to reconcile with? Is there somebody that you need to take steps of forgiving and getting right with them? What are you going to do about it? Are you going to obey God and do it? Is there somebody you need to go to? Are you content with what you have and what God has blessed you with? Are you content? Have you ever been broken before God and changed? Oh, you may have had experiences with God like Jacob had had 20 years earlier at Bethel when he saw that ladder and the angels going up and down. You may have had experiences with God, but have you ever been broken and changed? Jacob becomes broken and changed. And when he's broken and changed, 
God's purposes in and through him, then pick right back up and continue to march forward. When he's broken and changed, the plan of God, the purposes of God in and through Jacob, pick right back up and continue. Have you ever been broken and changed? Experience alone is not good enough. Have you been broken? Have you been surrendered? Have you been changed? Jacob comes to the end of himself, and yet he ends up stronger than he's ever been before. Because now, not only is he right with his brother Esau, but he's right with God. Amen?